Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, Editor-in-Chief of PTJ, and today I'm delighted to have as my guest Dr. Judy Japiha, who is an Associate Professor in the Department of Physical Therapy in the Faculty of Rehabilitation Medicine at the University of Alberta, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Welcome, Judy. Thanks so much. We're going to be talking about an article she and her colleagues published in PTJ. It's entitled, Evaluating the Uptake and Acceptability of Standardized Postoperative Rehabilitation Guidelines Using an Online Knowledge Translation Approach. Judy, I thought I'd give our listeners a little summary of your study, and then we can talk about it. Sure. The objective of the study was to determine the uptake and the acceptability of standardized post-op shoulder guidelines, along with an online knowledge translation resource that the authors had developed. Website analytics that they did revealed that 5,406 individuals used the resource between October 2012 and September 2013, and on average, the visit extended eight minutes. 96% of the therapists who used the new shoulder guidelines were very or satisfied with the guidelines, and 68% reported that the guidelines promoted patient-specific clinical decision-making extremely or very well. They viewed the online knowledge translation resource positively with almost 80% rating it as very useful or quite useful. So, Judy, let me begin by asking you if you could briefly describe the knowledge translation resource that you and your colleagues developed for the project and the conceptual framework that you used for developing it. Sure. So, you know, just a touch of background on how this all came to be. Um, Within our shoulder research group uh, regionally, Our first step was we really wanted to develop some new post-operative shoulder guidelines and uh, kind of take an evidence and consensus-based method of developing those. And so as part of that initial project, we decided that it would be important to reach out to our stakeholders, and so primarily our uh, rehab professionals, to get an idea of what they felt was important in the guidelines, what was missing, and just to kind of get an idea of current practice patterns. And so one of the things that became really clear in that needs assessment was that it wasn't just the guidelines themselves that therapists had some questions about and had significant input, or wanted significant input on, rather, is it was the accessibility and and just the... um, you know, ability to access it. And so that was really what started the whole process of um, our thoughts in developing this accompanying uh, knowledge translation resource. And so the information resource, we took an online approach, and on that resource we basically wanted to provide a site where therapists could come and always find the various guidelines. So there's an ability for them to uh, access them, they want print them off. There was narrated presentations made for each of the guidelines that described the various components of the guidelines, and then video demonstrations of proper exercise techniques and the outcome measures for all of the different phases within each of the guidelines. And 
again, this became really clear based on those needs assessments that that was what the therapist really wanted. And so that's kind of how we developed it and what we developed. And to help us along the way, we we really did follow the knowledge to action cycle, which is a well-established procedure that, that really kind of highlights a couple things, and this was how we followed our procedures in developing the uh, KT guideline, and so we went through kind of these two steps of knowledge creation or the knowledge funnel, as, as it's described, and then knowledge action, and so with the creation you know, we, we went through this extensive needs assessment through a couple different ways, and then within our research group, developed the guidelines, had input from the therapists, and that was very intentional because there's been research that suggests, you know, the effectiveness of a knowledge translation, if you can have that interaction and that sort of buy-in from stakeholders prior to the development of the resource, that, you know, that the outcomes would be better. So we had kind of those steps in the development, and then within the actual knowledge translation, so the resource, we had uh, so trials that we used internally to test that. And then, of course, what culminated in the, in the paper was really the, the measurement of uh, how effective therapists felt the uh, KT resource was and just really their opinions and usability of it. You mentioned that guideline availability was a challenge that came up in your needs assessment. And your results indicate that that may still be an issue. Right. How do you improve availability of these guidelines so that uh, people can make uh, use of them going forward? Right. Well, you know, and it, there was one thing that was found that, you know, was a bit of a puzzle to us is that, well, there was a few things that we discovered. Um, first of all, just conceptually, when we when we talked to therapists and found out, as well as through the research, some of the barriers that clinicians have is, uh, you know, certainly even if they have the guidelines, there's that barrier to understanding really the intricacies of what those guidelines talk about. And so we knew that those existed, but we felt that, you know, that that basic barrier of not even having access to them was where we really wanted to try and affect change. And so that really was where our efforts were. But one of the things we realized indirectly was because of our strategy and how we reached out to therapists, we were really broad and we didn't narrow the scope to just those therapists that we knew that were treating patients that had undergone surgery. We found that the access that we had to people much further than our region uh, where, where really those guidelines were being utilized, uh, that was really surprising to us. So I think that's the first thing. I think we're on the right track with these types of resources to expand the availability of the guidelines because uh, we realized that that was what happened in our study, that there was a number of therapists from different regions who would have never seen or, or had access to those guidelines because they weren't within the referring surgeons uh, regions, but they through the um, the KT online actually saw the guidelines, and it kind of went in a backwards direction, where where we actually had therapists who came across the the resources online and then reached out to us, and then actually we sort of have have made connections to some of the surgical people in those centers, and we've extended you know the guidelines much beyond what we thought. So it, it's kind of been an interesting side effect with that. But I, I mean, I think at a very basic level, the availability, we need to start with these KT resources. We need to reinforce 
the guidelines in many different ways and other sorts of conferences and talks and things like that. And then one thing that we really found was that our surgeons, uh, you know, our referring surgeons actually had a lower percentage uh, when we compared and we asked our therapist where they got the guidelines from, we had 44% that said they got it from the KT website versus 34% that got them from the surgeon. So we still have a little bit of a, uh, a bit of work to do in terms of getting our surgeons to really hand out or inform patients about the guidelines. I did chuckle when I saw those uh, data in your article. I can't say I was surprised. No, but I, I did chuckle. There. Yes, yeah. Well, we did a little bit more than chuckle, but it was it was certainly an interesting an interesting stat to take back to our our surgeon group. In your evaluation part of your study, you surveyed 2,000 Alberta licensed PTs who were potentially eligible, and the the survey was anonymous. But you didn't focus just on those who worked with shoulder patients. Why right. did you take that approach? Uh, well, on, on the one hand, we kind of had to because we, you know, really wanted to ensure completeness. And even though we could probably have identified some of our bigger markets that we knew treated shoulders based on where surgeons sent people, in Alberta, um, patients can go anywhere. So they're not under the direction of a surgeon. Once they have their surgery, they can choose to go anywhere. And so we really wanted to make sure that we weren't losing anyone in that pool. So to ensure completeness was number one. And you touched on the anonymity that we wanted to, you know, allow for that piece of our results and so not self-select. And then I guess our third reason was we really wanted to have a real broad reach. So we realized that this was also an opportunity to, in sending out that survey, to maybe garner some interest in the guidelines and and because we used branching logic in terms of how we um, handled our survey respondents uh, and the data, uh, we pieced out, you know, if they had treated post-operative patients and used the guidelines uh, and the online resource, they were sort of scooted into one direction of questioning. If they just treated post-operative patients but had not used the new guidelines or resource, they went in a different direction. So we had three well, we had four branches, three that we gathered data. And so what what that actually allowed us to do that we did not expect was to realize that um, this KT resource, again, had that really broad geographical reach. And, you know, therapists that treated post-op shoulder patients but had not seen the guidelines, as a result of going through the survey, they then went and saw the guidelines. So it, it was, uh, you know, again, kind of a nice nice consequence of that, um, what we thought was just to be complete and anonymous. <laughs> sure. It, it was interesting with your website analytics, you revealed that uh, over 5,400 individuals used the online resource with an average of eight minutes uh, per visit. How do you interpret those kinds of data? I have to admit, I struggle with website analytics. Yeah. Oh, I don't well, know how yeah. to interpret whether or not that's good or bad or indifferent. Right. Well, we had the same questions and uh, really had no precedence uh, in, in the literature to really know what that meant. Um, you know, page views 
I don't know where we'd go for that. I mean, I think we tried to find other comparable sites um, to sort of get, get get an idea, but from working with our, uh, you know, our people in our in our faculty that really helped with the website development and monitoring it, they really uh, were at a loss to give us information specifically about the page views. I bet as we move into the next several years, we'll be able to maybe garner some information on what that means relative. So what we did focus on mostly were those other three measures. So what we defined as the entrance, so that intentional land on the page of interest. And with that, um, that, that, that you could make some conclusions that um, it suggested, based on the time that people spent on the website, which was that average of eight minutes, that um, it was it was people that had that intention to go to the website. They weren't just kind of browsing. Um, and then the other piece that we looked at, of course, was um, their geographical location. So we looked mostly at those other three. And so the eight minutes, again, uh, you know, we were making some some theoretical conclusions here, but at eight minutes, and then the other piece was how many times they returned to the site, that gave us some idea um, that they wanted to go there, they landed there, and then based on some of the video times and the, the narrated presentations, that fit into the time frame of how long they would need to get through some of those. Um, the other thing, when we looked back at the, T, the, the KT literature, was we we felt that we might be on the right track with this based on you know studies that have found comparing longer KT interventions to shorter KT interventions that you know there's some suggestion that it appears you know that you you're looking at more of a practice change when you have these longer KT interventions based on the shorter ones um, which tend to just maybe change beliefs or values but uh, so we you know we're encouraged but you're right we don't have enough data to really be able to conclude what those numbers mean I think I agree with your point that if you can look at these kinds of data over time mm -hmm. then you can begin to interpret them a little better we do that right. with the journal mm -hmm. and, right you know are your page views going up going down under the amount of time that people spend going up right. and going down, I think that does help. And, but it and, is a challenge. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So we need more and more data on this. We have continued to watch the website usage over, you know, because this study really, uh, the data that we collected was a, a while ago. And so we do keep an eye on that because we have access to that. And, and really it's been sustained. We, we have these blips based on, you know, kind of when we put a new guideline on and we try and do a little a little excitement around that, we see these blips, but we do uh, see a, a sustainability in terms of the usage, if not in some of them, an increase. And you mentioned that almost 85% use the KT resource between one to five times, so a lot of people were coming back. Right. Which I, I assume you would find that encouraging. Well, we, we're going to take it that way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so, so yeah. because somebody within our group said, well, maybe they just didn't understand it. And fair enough, because we really, that wasn't data that we collected. But, um, you know, rhetorically talking to people, uh, it is a resource that people go back and forth to, you know, to check and to sort of 
pull off. Again, it's, a, it's the usability and it's the access point. So a lot of therapists will go back and pull off new guidelines or look at the old one or check how that outcome measure is, you know, being addressed. And so that that's what we would hope, yes. You also reported that almost 50% of the therapists had treated post-op shoulder repair patients using the new guidelines. Do you see that as a glass half full or glass half empty result? Well, a little bit of both actually, Alan, because uh, the, the 50% of the respondents would have been that whole pool of respondents. So, so there's two ways to look at that. You're right that um, we had respondents, a fair number of respondents that actually had um, either treated post-op patients but had never seen our regional guidelines or used the online resource. Uh, and then and then we had those that uh, at the third tiering that we looked at that uh, had not treated post-op patients but were aware of the online resource. So, so of those, and then of course the biggest group was those that treated post-op patients and had used the resource and the guidelines. And so of that whole pool, 50% uh, was the was the number that um, you know we were really trying to capture that had had yep. treated with uh, post-op as well as that. So um, we were okay with that because it really again spoke to uh, not only the survey sort of capturing a, a broader sense and looking at those other big centers around uh, Alberta, um, and then the exposure that came as a result of that. Um, so I, I guess we were we were okay with that. Um, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. It, I mean, there's no question this is an extremely difficult area to evaluate, which oh, you point right. out as one of the limitations in your study. Of course, you, yeah. You did not directly assess whether or not practice actually changed. No, um, no, this was, was not our – it was never part of the uh, overall goal. Um, again, it, you know, we were really clear – that we were looking at, uh, you know, the uptake and the accept acceptability and really the opinions and at that juncture. Uh, we did as one of our questions in some of our surveys, uh, you know, we wanted to know if there was changes in how they managed post-operative patients, but we really did not ask them what those were, which elements of the guideline. We knew that that was going to take us into a whole other direction. And so we really, yeah. because we were at the juncture of, trying out a new KT resource and new guidelines, we really were at the level of usability. If you were to go to that next level and try to look at did practice actually change, how would you go about doing that? Well, we've had lots of discussion on that. It's very difficult because, um, you know, again, what we would have had to do was question therapists on what specifically changed. So, you know, if you're asking about practice change, what specifically was it, what, what it was, and which elements of the guideline and or that KT resource related to that self-reported change. And that's still not going to be, you know, clear enough to say that that was that causal piece. So you, you'd have to be very right. careful about that. Um, right. But I think that's where you'd have to start, and then you'd probably, you know, I guess it, based on what you found with that, then you'd have to start comparing, because then if you take it to the next level with patient outcomes, then you'd have to start comparing it to, um, you know, all sorts of different arms in terms of, 
types of management and and uh, yeah. So I mean that that would be a completely different question you're you're addressing. Which would be an interesting extension of the work mm-hmm. that you and your colleagues have already done. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we're thinking about it. We're just wanting to be very careful that we're very clear in the question we're asking and how we're making those conclusions from what we're studying. Well, Dr. Chapia, I want to thank you both for taking the time today to talk to me about your study and for publishing it in PTJ. This is an important area of work, and I really enjoyed uh, reading about it. Well, thanks very much for the opportunity to speak a little bit more about it. It's been a pleasure. 